Hello, everyone, and welcome to Calling All Useful Idiots. Just waiting for some people to, you know, join the room. Then we'll start. Also, uh, of course, now, and we encourage you to do the same. Okay. And, of course, we remind you to please... Um, Subscribe to Useful Idiots uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. Rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcast, especially on uh, Apple Podcasts, because that really helps get the word out there. Also, please subscribe to our Substack at usefulidiots.substack.com. Subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash usefulidiots. All righty, let's start with our first caller. Oh, we don't have any callers. We had some, I thought. Well, Aaron, let's just start because our time is precious. So um, what should we tell people if they missed our our stream? First of all, we should tell them that they they missed out on a great stream. They did miss out on a great stream. Uh, Yeah. um, Every week there's so much deception to make fun of. It's it's hard to keep track. It's head spinning. I'm exhausted after that hour-long stream. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot, but, um, yeah. Uh, and it seems that the world's moving at a very fast pace. It's hard to keep up with everything, but we do our best. We do our best indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we need you to, you to do your best by joining the call queue because otherwise we don't have a, we don't have a call-in show. Uh, um, and look who we got, Jeff. Okay, Thank go ahead. Jeff. Proud Patriot Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Uh, unmute Jeff, yourself. Jeff has muted himself. So unmute uh, yourself. Yeah, we, we need a caller who will not stay on mute. Uh, there's no yeah. point calling in if you're going to stay on mute um, for obvious reasons. So let's get some callers. Don't be shy. Hey, don't be shy. How was your don't weekend, Aaron? Maybe we'll encourage them. Oh, Radical. Okay, we got Radical. Hey, Radical. Radical, you're unmuted. Now you just need to speak. Uh, Radical, we believe in you. You can do this. Uh, to meet, unmute your, oh no, actually you don't need to unmute yourself. You're already unmuted. Radical is just trolling us <laughs> because, uh, Radical has the mute off. All right, Radical. Well, we're going to kick you out and bring in Anthony. Go ahead. Good Anthony. morning, guys. I was just wondering what's your uh, favorite morning beverage on a Monday morning? Some hot coffee, cream, sugar, some uh, black uh, tea, some green tea. What, what do you like to drink in the morning? Okay. I got an answer to this. Ready? I like, and I'm drinking right now, or I was drinking, coffee, hot coffee with almond milk. And then you put some uh, cardamom powder, turmeric powder, and uh, cinnamon, and it's great. But add the powders before the milk because you want it to be absorbed by the hot coffee. That's my drink of choice. Aaron, what Uh, about you? I just like to – I drink water. I get up and I gulp water. Like I should have two glasses of water. And then then black coffee, yeah. 
That's oh, you gulp water. That's so smart. Sure, is that sure. to make sure that you that you drink enough water? Yes, yes. I need that's, to start doing that. That's the hope. And then, so how um, much do you have in the morning? I try to have two glasses. All right, I'm going to start doing that yes. because if not, then I drink too late in the day, and then I have to pee. There you go. There you okay. go. Yeah. All right, Anthony. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Thanks yes. for getting the call queue going because now we're now we're jammed. Okay, Lee. Yeah. Good morning. Morning. And I appreciate you being a good example for healthy morning habits with your, your drinking your fluids. I wonder if you all can talk, if you haven't already, about oh, what when Jimmy Dore tried to do the Rage Against the War and it's had it's been so difficult. What might be another approach so we can continue to try to get people's attention about rising up? You know, keep on doing what you're doing. You know, uh, there's only one way just to keep trying. And the people who put against, who put together that rage rally, I, you know, they did their best and they, they invited some speakers who other people weren't comfortable with. And so that's just, that, that's what it is. But, um, um, I, uh, there's another anti-war rally coming up, uh, organized by the Answer Coalition. That's in March. March 18th, and, uh, right? Yeah, okay. March 18th. So, you know, I, I don't have any answers um, to anything. <laughs> except, except, I, Russia I was, except for Russia good I was questions. a little... I mean, I think that, um, you know, we're lucky that people like Daniel Ellsberg are still um, speaking With us. publicly. Apparently, his health is hanging in there, and I just am hoping there are people who can push to get more people since like Medea was stuck and she couldn't do it. And, and, but she did attend. Still... She did attend. I just want to point that oh, out. Oh, did she, did she really, she just didn't yeah. speak. She just right. didn't speak. Yeah. She wanted to speak. But, yeah, yeah, I know she did. I know she did. And, and the thing is the, people listen to mainstream media and to the degree anybody mentioned it, it, it was belittled as you know. And, and I'm just shocked because um, most people don't want this (laughs) and they're afraid to speak for fear of being thrown from their tribe. So thanks for doing whatever you can to broaden the circle of people that more people will listen to um it's um it's scary it's scary how how people are being silenced i mean you two are in a minority of sane honest journalists so thank you again thank you quickly okay next all right Nestor, how's it going? Morning, guys. Uh, hope you guys are doing good. Um, I just wanted to, uh, what's it called, just add to, you know, how uh, Biden went to Ukraine and uh, it looked all like the like the scene from the movie, The Mafia, uh, The Godfather. Uh, and I think for the, and I, I think a lot of people are missing this, that, you know, the reason, the, I think the biggest reason why he called Russia ahead of time to ask for their permission 
to be there is because they they were actually more worried about the Nazis that they actually fund. You know, they they were they were making sure that that they there was no uh, uh, funny business where you know these these Nazis could you know kill Biden and say it was Russia who did it. Uh, so I think it's kind of like you know the mob boss he has to make sure that he has contingency plans because he's gonna go visit his most ruthless and violent capo. So I think that was the biggest reason why you know they. They call ahead of time and make sure because I saw how Biden, you know, when the siren, uh, the the air air siren went off, Biden looked terrified. Man, he looked like my like when my grandma gets scared, you know, like something spooks her. Uh, I almost felt bad for him. Like he was like clinging on to Zelensky and stuff. It was real. Uh, I wanted to laugh, but at the same time, I was like, man, it's so wrong to laugh at this. But uh, that, that's all I wanted to add. Uh, uh, from my end, uh, from my point of view, so I don't know what you guys thought. If that's, yeah, well, thanks, if that's that's the one way. Yeah, you know the the air siren thing to me was so funny because right after it happened, this reporter on CNN, and we played the clip on these floodlights last week. Um, he said he said, "Well, this is crazy. I've been here for five days and there haven't been any air air sirens, and all of a sudden, right when Biden and Zelensky walk out for their photo op, the air siren goes off. Like, what are the odds? You know." So it was uh, such an obvious photo op, and uh, I just dude, loved that so much. Like, he looked scared. Like he, you, did you see how he jumped and started like walking all weird and almost like grabbing onto Zelensky's arm and stuff? I'm like, I'm like, man, what? Uh, and and with all that security measures, like you can tell, like they they were worried that something might and could have happened to him. Because you know, like like the missile that went into Poland, these guys were saying that Russia did it when it was their missile, so they they know what kind of people they're dealing with. Yeah, you know, there's a really funny uh, comment in the Wall Street Journal recently. They you know, there's all these articles on the one year anniversary about how great Zelensky is, how he's like he's learned the error of his ways. He's learned now that he can't make peace with Russia. He just has to arm Ukraine to the teeth, as one advisor put it to the New York Times. But in the Wall Street Journal, they interviewed these two German officials, and they were like, yeah, we know that Zelensky was lying when he said that uh, Russia had fired on Poland, but we understand if we were in his position, uh, we would try to drag everyone else into a war, too. So it's like they recognize that Zelensky was lying to drag them into a war, but they're like, yeah, it's okay. Like, he gets a pass because we do the same thing. Yep. Oh, man. Evil, evil recognize evil. Evil yeah. All right. Thanks, Nestor. Okay. Thanks, Thomas. Hello, good morning. Oh no, you're not getting through. Hi. No, you're there. Sorry, someone called me. I don't know how to deal with this when someone calls, but how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Um, we had a busy weekend uh, down here in Florida. I'm going to like shift gears for a moment and then hopefully steer back towards uh, the Ukraine issue slightly. Um, so uh, I'm in the Orlando area and last week there was a synagogue um, uh, in a in a real high traffic, high visibility area of town that was accosted by a group of neo Nazis mm. um, who got into um, some not physical altercations but real nasty verbal exchanges, 
we're kind of impeding some of the the, the uh, I guess worshippers uh, you know foot traffic vehicle traffic um, you know telling them that uh, they would look good in barbecues and wouldn't they like to take a shower in a gas chamber mm. uh, yeah I'm sorry I should I should probably given a little bit of a head to keep some of that um, and um, I so some folks in the in the community here weren't weren't, weren't really having it and um, used social media to organize uh, a counter uh, demonstration of of solidarity um, with uh, the Jewish people in our community and it was it was really cool um, the um, the Quakers showed up and uh, so did a a group of um, LGBT BIPOC aligned anti-fascist supporters. Uh, it wound up um, getting some traction from some local representatives and people, a handful, uh, drove in from over an hour away in different directions um, just to express you know, support for the community and let these people know they belong here. Um, one of the things that sort of came up as an interesting conversation, even with some of the um, um, members of the, of the faith community who, who came out to um, spend time with with us and to thank us for being there um, the the topic came up of um, what's going on in um, in Gaza um, with uh, Israel and the, um, the Palestinians and there was a surprisingly um, uh, thoughtful and nuanced conversation taking place about how um, we we need to be uh, aligning and organizing and supporting these people, and that you know that what's happening there does not represent the kind of um, love that people were showing up um, at this you know this little demonstration we were having, um, and so you know, I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, over the course of the last day or so and thinking about that in the context of the um, Rage Against the War Machine rally and everything that kind of internally imploded within the movement around that. Um, and I'm wondering if, um, you know, not to say we shouldn't organize around uh, anti-war stuff, um, because I think that we should. Um, I, um, I was critical of uh, some speakers of um, at the uh, Rage Against the War Machine rally. Um, shout out to uh, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, currently employed by um, the uh, uh, PSYOPs Division of the U.S. Army um, and former supporter of sending weapons to Ukraine now against it purportedly um but i think we should continue to do that i i support the code pink rally coming up i hope other people will pay attention and get involved um but i do wonder if there's not an opportunity in the greater consciousness of um the um, peace loving people of of our country to align around the um, much less ambiguous issue of what's going on in Gaza. Um, 
And of course, I heard mention of that, you know, at the Rage Against the War Machine rally. There were people who were connecting these things. I think Anya did in a really powerful way. Um, but, um, yeah, have I rambled enough? Well, so you're saying people need to be talking about Gaza more? I'm not sure what your, like, your point. Yeah, I don't mean that. What you're, like, the point is that you're making is what? Thomas? Yeah, sorry. I'm seeing people say I rambled enough and I'm hearing your question. And I'm, um, I, I guess I'm wondering if, um, the, if it wouldn't be strategically more effective to center the Gaza issue with as much effort as, as has been put into centering the Ukraine issue. Well, I think that, like, not, I mean, Aaron and I kept joking today about how why we're waiting for people to say chew gum and, and walk at the same time. But I think that, um, you know, the Gaza issue is important. I obviously, I'm actually having someone on this week who was um, uh, barred by the Biden administration for a position over his uh his claim, uh, which is widely supported and, of course, by evidence uh, that Israel's an apartheid government. But I think that sometimes this can get a little scoldy. And it's like there are people who you have to meet people where they're at. And there are going to be people with various political orientations who care about war. Um, and I think more people should care about Gaza and we should all do uh what we can to raise our voices, but we also have to meet people where they're at. And there are going to be people who, who care about this, about war in Ukraine, who don't care about Gaza because they see it as a, as an issue that directly impacts them more than Gaza. Yeah, fair enough. I suppose from a financial perspective, um, in terms of how we're sending our money to Ukraine and, and not using it here, that's definitely true. Um, I mean, okay. I appreciate you it. could also make the same point, though, about what we do with Israel to be to to back your point to play devil's advocate to myself. Oh yeah, well, no doubt. You know, I, I live in a state where um, if your company supports BDS, um, you're legally barred from contracts with the state. Right. So yeah, um, I got you. Okay. I just well, think so maybe the approach should be let's center Gaza more as opposed to let's center Gaza instead of Ukraine. Oh, okay. The, uh, okay. The, um, the problem I have, the problem I have is there was a great opportunity to center the cause of Gaza a few years ago. Uh, I think this 2018 when the yeah. great march of return happened, right? And so that was like tens of thousands of Gazans going out unarmed to just protest for their basic rights, to end the blockade of Gaza and for the right to return to their homes. And that was a nonviolent demonstration. And what happened? They were gunned down yeah, by uh, snipers, by Israeli forces armed by the U.S. And yeah. there were no rallies I can remember in here in the U.S. There was no solidarity at all. And it, it was just uh, I, I never understood it. And um, maybe that was a, just a reflection of fatigue in the Palestinian solidarity movement. They're just, you know, worn down by years of fatigue. But what more opportune moment than all these people going out to protest for their rights and being shot um, by snipers. Like it was, 
And, and of course, the U.S. media totally whitewashing it. It was a huge moment there. And I think we all dropped the ball. And I don't know why it happened, but it did. And I think part of it is there's been this effort to, like, separate the West Bank from Gaza. So, like, the U.S., like, pours all this money, like, NGO money into the West Bank. And, um, and there's this effort to sort of, like, because that's where the, you know, U.S.-approved leadership is, like, uh, in Fatah, right? And I think it was maybe a reflection of that. Possibly, I don't know. It, it was very strange, and it shouldn't take people, innocent civilians, you know, sacrificing their lives for us to be out organizing for them. But yet, even when they were doing that, we weren't. And that was just, I think, a historic, a, 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 like a historic um, lost opportunity and a big and a big letdown. Like we, a failure. It was a big failure. Failure, yeah. Yes, I agree. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you very, very much. And uh, thanks not so much for subjecting us all to so much uh, Jake Sullivan and Condoleezza Rice today. But love you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Thomas. Where do you live, by the way? What state? Oh, well, I'll put it in the comments. I'm curious what state. I think you said Florida. Um, oh, Florida. <clears throat> okay. Right. He did, yeah. All right. Radical. Oh, come on. We can hear you. Okay. <laughs> I had some technical difficulties earlier. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about the um, the desperation that we're beginning to see out of uh, the media and uh, the uh, officials in charge. So, you know, for instance, uh, you know, they somebody was speaking about uh, Biden going to uh, Ukraine and how they perceived it. Um, I perceived it immediately as like, this is just a photo op. They're desperate. They want to. And of course, he said, you know, we're uh, how did he say we're all in, Um, you know, so it's it's like this desperation to portray the overall, you know, war effort as being successful when it's not. Um, So, you know, they lie about everything. They lie about you know, how we got to this point. They lie about the Nazis in Ukraine. Um, They lie about the opposition. There were rallies in Europe, um, you know, huge rallies. And what did we get here? We get Rachel Maddow, you know, showing a uh, very, because I was at the Rage Against uh, the War Machine rally, and Rachel Maddow took a very uh, selective kind of early uh, footage of the rally that didn't show all the people there was, you know, it wasn't big, it wasn't huge, but it was, you know, 3000 people or so, you know, and then you had people uh, visiting all time uh, in Lincoln Memorial. So, um, you know, I just see desperation uh, on all, all around the, the media is desperate to keep, you know, pushing this idea that um, they've done, you know, that we're, we're winning. And I think I think what it we're coming to, like, and particularly like with uh, the Nord Stream situation, um, I just saw uh, an interview with uh, Seymour Hirsch where he said that he got a million hits on that article on Substack, uh, which is phenomenal. So there are people paying attention. It's just our media is so busy trying to ignore it. This is all going to come back. You know, Europe, they're, they're already screaming about it over there. 
Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering what your take is on this. And then, um, you, you know, how, how do you see this uh, playing out when the, you know, the lies, because I think people too, uh, like societies are subject to the lies and then suddenly, or it, it seems as if suddenly they're not buying it anymore, but it's, it's like a long time coming. There was a huge rallies in Europe this weekend in Germany and France uh, calling for peace in Ukraine. And those uh, rallies, I think, got like passing mention in the New York Times. I mean, not very much attention is paid to them. But yeah, of course, um, it's impossible to sustain something like this indefinitely. Um, it's been a huge amount of propaganda directed at NATO state audiences to get them on board. But eventually there's always cracks in the wall and some truth is getting through. And someone like Seymour Hirsch did a, you know, a huge uh, service in exposing the U S role in the Nord Stream too. And so, yeah, uh, I think inevitably you're going to start seeing more and more protests because how can you, how can you, given how much deception is involved, how can you sustain that over such a long period of time? Just, you know, luckily we have in some in some places, enough freedom to be able to see the truth for ourselves. And people, you know, when things like East Palestine happens, where you have this like horrible train derailment, and this American town poison, the president can't even bring himself to go there. He goes to Ukraine instead. Uh, that has an impact. That has an impact on people. Right. And, and by the way, thing... we spoke about the um, Rachel Maddow's uh, portrayal of this, uh, of the rally on our Substack only. Useful idiots on Substack.com because it was really gross. Yeah, it, it was disgusting because, you know, I was there and it was it was good vibes all around. Uh, there were people who, uh, you know, I, I don't agree with. There were lots of people there who I would say, you know, leaned heavily liber libertarian. Um, and I guess that's who organized the rally, actually. But um, I did not see anybody having anything other than a good time and open discussions, uh, even in, you know, disagreement, they all agreed on the one major thing. And, um, and, and I think like this, like sort of awakening process, like you, you hear all this stuff about being woke, um, you know, and um, this awakening process, I think will come to, you know, into play too with uh, Palestine because, um, you know, they, they've been propagandizing us on Israel, you know, my entire life. I really cannot remember in my lifetime when there was not this like sort of heavy influence of propaganda and people are beginning to break through that now too. So, you know, so where we're actually seeing some of the, of what's going on and it's horrific. It's horrific. Just what they did this weekend was horrific, you know? Yep. All right, Radical. Thank you for the call. Right. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, Jenny, yep. Thanks for telling your morning drink. I'm a water drinker, too. And then I follow that with something hot, usually herb tea with acidophilus. Start my day. 
So I called in because I'm a prepper. And with all the talk about nukes, I thought it might be good to share a link with the listeners about how to prep for nuclear war. This is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and preparing for. And what I've learned over the years is that when you learn the facts, uh, it really decreases your terror level and your fear. And so I'm concerned especially about little kids, you know, who might be hearing all the talk and they're feeling scared. And I think we need to be conscious of their fears and their worries and then do things to help de-escalate that. And uh, I thought it was interesting, Aaron, that it's been announced that your dad's going to be doing a live stream with Prince Harry about his trauma. Did you know about that? I did know about that. Yeah. I think it's great. And I, I think it is traumatic for war talk to be bandied about in, in the way that it has been almost casually by some of the politicians as if World War III is not going to be this huge event for all of us. And again, I'm thinking about the kids and what, what can we do to help them feel safe when um, this, this is reality, this is happening. And so um, I think it's powerful to take kids, especially teenagers, to an anti-war rally and let them experience it for themselves and see that there are other people who are standing up. It's a powerful moment. Absolutely. Jenny, thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Amanda. Good morning. Morning. First, let me apologize. You guys are always on time. And when you started your call in, I wasn't quite ready to call in. Otherwise, I would have been up here immediately. I just was working, so I couldn't get right here. So first, let me apologize for my tardiness and poor planning to not be ready when you guys were. Apology accepted. We Apology you. accepted. Yeah. yeah. Apology accepted. Thank you yeah. so so much. I appreciate that. The other thing that I wanted to say is um, that there was a caller that said that the anti-war movement like imploded from the inside. That's not what happened. What happened is outside got really messy because inside the movement it seemed like they were getting the thing done and getting that many groups together who don't agree on a lot of things and pulling off a successful event. I don't know. I think that's a success to me when you get that people with that different views together. It's kind of a big deal. And it makes me sad that people didn't want to participate in that kind of thing. So that's one thing. The other thing is um, I'm going to drop a link to the article from Indy Bay and the pictures from the San Francisco Rage Against the War Machine event that was held the same day which I think was, even though it was small, was also successful. There is going to be another one on March 18th with Code Pink and Answer, like you guys said. So I hope everybody looks for an event in their town. But I'll drop the link to a local news source called Indie Bay for folks if they want to see the pictures of the event. Great. And I appreciate you covering it, too. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, enjoyed. Uh, I enjoyed our chat with uh, Chris Hedges. Oh yeah, that one was that was really great. I'm really happy for his the article that he posted on Sheer Post about the you know about yeah people not being involved. So yeah, all of that. Thank you so much. Appreciate the access to those folks. 
Thank you. Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Hi. Uh, Long-time uh, listener, first-time call-in, if you can say that. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Uh, I'm from Austria, and uh, I have to say uh, um, the media here is basically probably the same as in, in the U.S., there are not much uh, anti-war things. And there was this big rally in Berlin uh, a couple of days ago. And like the media presented, it was like just about five to 10,000 people. The organizers said it was 50,000 people. So it was probably in the wow. middle somewhere, I guess. But <clears throat> um, I'm really frustrated that we don't have like politicians here like Sarah Wagenknecht, which is one of the few who actually like calls for peace and they were called uh, naive in the media. And uh, the other day I read an article in an Austrian newspaper um, and it was basically like, a, a, it was I think original in English by Timothy Snyder and he was calling uh, why uh, sending more weapons is decreasing the possibility of nuclear war, which doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, I guess uh, my question is, um, you have probably a lot of uh, people you know. Um, do you know mm, some independent journalists from like Central Europe, uh, maybe from the... German-speaking part, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, because there are not many. There, there are some great investigative journalists in Austria, but they maybe only uh, talk about issues, but not like foreign. Um, I would look at uh, who's interviewed Seymour Hirsch in Germany, because uh, there have been a couple of interviews with him, and of course, got, uh, a lot of people have been hostile toward him, but some people have been friendly, and so it shows that there is some journalism left in, in Germany. And so I would, I would try to find them. I don't want to um, name anyone because uh, I don't know if they'd want me to uh, endorse them or not publicly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I've, but, I've seen one. I think they were called Activism Munich. I think they're doing great stuff. Yeah, Activism, yeah, yeah they interviewed Cy Hirsch. Yeah, they did. Yeah. 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 The, um, the, the thing about the Cy Hirsch thing... Uh, a lot of uh, newspaper like covered it, but mostly there was like uh, articles like why Sima Hirsch is not credible anymore. That was like the main right. issue, <laughs> which was kind of funny. I think it seemed like some I don't know editors gave like I don't know journalist graduates uh, uh, an issue and like uh, describe why he isn't uh, credible anymore. That was the sense I got. It's very, very funny. I agree. Uh, it's such yeah. a joke. All, all these people, all these people combined, multiplied by a million, will not have the accomplishments of Seymour Hersh uh, and the credibility of Seymour Hersh. But yet, they still insist on denigrating him. Um, yeah, that's it's one of my uh, favorite media um, behaviors is trying to discredit 
and dismiss one of the greatest journalists ever. It's really interesting. Thank you, Jacob, for the call. No okay. Worries. Good morning, you guys. Just wanted to comment that uh, Russians are good people. And uh, I know this because there's seemingly tens of thousands of them living uh, with me here in the Sacramento area. I go to the mall and I hear a lot of Russian being spoken. And um, there are more church going people than I, but still lovely. And uh, uh, as your audience knows, um, just like a small group of people with Bush and took us. into a war in Iraq. It's a small group of Russians that took them to war in Ukraine. And it's just like it was up to us to change things. It's up to the Russians to change things uh, there in Russia. That's right. Uh, who rules Russia is Russia's business. And uh, if they don't like Putin, then they can take care of that themselves. It's not our business to decide who who should rule Russia or anywhere else except for our own country. Right. And I urge both of you to really make the case that you guys are the patriots, uh, the ones criticizing America and trying to get her on the, the right course are the, the true patriots. And Aaron, I hope you make that uh, case in your forthcoming book. Thanks. Uh, I'm not going to, but I agree with you. Uh, I agree with you. I, I, um, I love this country. I'm a humble immigrant. You know, I'm, I'm from Canada, but I, I love the U.S. And uh, why should a country be defined by the people who are in charge of it? It should be defined by its culture and its people. And it's really interesting that, you know, it's a totalitarian attitude that says that if you criticize your leaders, then you're somehow unpatriotic. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, look, there's only so much space in my book, unfortunately. It's, it's already getting pretty long. So I, Maybe that could be pick my battles. the subtitle, We Are the Patriots. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Okay, Joshua. All right, I got to be fast because I'm at work. I'm hoping that maybe you'll get Prince Harry after your father, but actually I'm I'm not hoping that at all. Um, for your book, I was wondering how long of a chapter you're going to have on CrowdStrike. I worked there, and I want to talk about how those intelligence, private intelligence companies are doing attribution and military contractors and all that. But I have to go back to work, so I want to see how long you're going to talk about CrowdStrike well, in that you book. Know, you know, yeah, yeah. It, if you've read my work, Joshua, you'll know that CrowdStrike is a top interest of mine. <laughs> and uh, I, I do have a, uh, a chapter on CrowdStrike. And if you want to email me, if you have anything that you want to tell me, my email address is um, it's on my Twitter page. It's Aaron Maté at ProtonMail.com. Yeah, I don't have anything I, that would not be in the public domain and you probably already have access to. But also, if you ever get you know, into looking at Constellus, I think we just need to look at where these very shadowy figures, and I don't want to use any of what you do to rehabilitate these uh, these people and puppets that are leading us in, you know, okay. like Trump, like Biden, like DeSantis. Like, they are not an answer for any of this. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks, I guys. That. I agree with that. Thank you. Okay, yep. Brady. What's up, dudes? I... Notice a lot of talking about the implosion of the left. Everyone seems to be accusing everyone of being an op these days. And I just like to offer that I think there are more useful idiots than there are ops these days. I think that the CIA has kind of like outsourced their psyops program to the actual citizens now. 
through, you know, alcohol and pharmaceuticals and TV commercials and whatnot. But um, I have a lot of criticisms of the anti-war protests. So I started doing my own. I'm hosting my own in Texas. And I can say already that I have much better music lined up for it. And um, I think that Nick Brana is an observable sex pest. The libertarians are observably a little bit racist and sexist. So on the advice of Stephen Fry, I'm starting my own political party that is uh, a little more racy and sexy. And it's called the Proxy Party. And so under that umbrella, we're hosting our own um, anti-war party in Texas. Like I said, I'm looking for at least 10 conservative debate me bros or pro-war debate me bros to actually debate during this uh, anti-war party. And um, we're also writing a peace proposal from the people of America to the people of Russia and Ukraine. So if anyone has any ideas of how we could make peace happen of course my recommendation is open discussion debate you know uh, diplomatic debate and- okay thanks brady i um i'm gonna ask people not to make allegations about other individuals who are not here to defend themselves so uh, if you don't like nick brana or anybody else that's totally your right but i don't want to hear people accusing others of being um Whatever the allegation is, if they're not here to defend themselves, because that's just not what we're here to do. So that is my request, and I, I will enforce that. If uh, allegations are made about someone that, that is not here, then, then you'll be kicked off. So that's what I just did with Brady. Okay, thanks. Columbia, go ahead. Columbia, are you there? If you're there... You want to unmute yourself. Okay. Nope. Let's go to Joe. Joe. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I just, uh, I, I missed a little bit of the uh, call-in, so maybe someone's brought this up already. The quote, uh, walking and chewing gum at the same time, it's, it's not really the original quote. It was LBJ talking about Ford, and he said he couldn't fart and chew gum at the same time, but they cleaned it up for the general public. Anyway, I just thought I'd clear that up. Thanks. Okay, you're welcome. That's it for me. All right. Yeah, he was a very vulgar man. I'll be <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Joe. Ooh. <clears throat> hey, Katie, Aaron. Uh, hey. first thing I wanted to say, uh, uh, that, uh, nice, uh, hold music from Joe's call got me a little bit relaxed, but, uh, uh, two questions. Um, uh, first, are we going to hear you and Aaron speak at any of these anti-war protests? And second, uh, question is, uh, what, what are thoughts on why you don't see as much, uh, 
of the people that come out against Ukraine also say that we should be spending more time on uh, over-policing, because it seems to me that uh, you see people that are like, oh, we need to focus more on uh, uh, Palestine, Ohio versus Ukraine, uh, but you don't see as much, or we should focus on uh, policing issues and um, police brutality over uh, what's going on in Ukraine. Not to say that both aren't important, uh, but it's a bit, I don't remember at the Rage Against uh, the War Machine rally, it seemed more, uh, I don't remember hearing as many voices speaking out against uh, the br- brutality, uh, focusing on that versus what's going on in Ukraine. But uh, it's Rage Against the War rally, right? I mean, it wasn't a Rage Against Police Brutality rally. That's true. That's true. But I'm saying, for example, with I'm not I I love the rally. I was there at the Rage Against War Machine rally. I'm just saying just in general, when I hear about those focusing on uh, when it comes to Ukraine, like, oh, we shouldn't focus on Ukraine. We should focus on Palestine, Uh, Ohio, for example. It seems like. Well, there was the the folk. I mean, there's Palestine. And then there's East Palestine and there's Palestine and people are making both points. But Palestine, whichever. Well, no, it's just they're both things that people are feeling are being. Anyway, keep going. I'm not correcting you. I'm just saying it's interesting because you have people saying Biden was in Ukraine instead of Palestine, East Palestine. And then people on the call were saying we should be talking more about Gaza. But keep going. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. So uh, I don't know. I guess it's just a personal frustration just uh not regarding the rally itself just like it seems like no one gives a shit with all these people getting killed domestically by cops just uh but i, I don't know i guess uh what what do you think I, are you guys having any plans to be speaking at any of these rallies Uh, I'm not sure. I think that Aaron, oh, Aaron jumped off. Um, I think Aaron, not to speak for him, but I'm pretty sure that he doesn't really do that. Oh, okay. He sees his role as a journalist who doesn't do that. But I don't know, who knows? But that's what I know he said in general. I see. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess that's it for me. Thank you. Thanks, Boot. Okay, Jabril. Oh, he left. Oh, no, there he is. Okay, hey, Jabril. Hello? Unmute yourself by hitting the mic button. Okay. Rev. Hey, how are you, Katie? How's it going? Good, you? Good, you. Good, good. How's Bodie? Oh, she's great. Thanks. I'm actually up here. With okay. Her. Oh, good. Awesome. Oh, I just, you know, I just want to say going back to to the rally, which I thought was fantastic. I mean, it just seems to me the reason people are having such an incredible meltdown is in, far in the mainstream left, if you want to call it that, or corporate left, is I mean, the I the formula is exactly correct. You've got to form issue based alliances. I mean, somebody mentioned Lyndon Johnson for all his mistakes. He was very, very good at bringing together disparate parties to you know, pass legislation like the Civil Rights Act and Medicaid 
And the idea you're going to have to work with people whose views you might find very different, even a tad bit repulsive, but focused around specific issues. I mean, this seems to be it's organizing 101 that they knew in the 60s, and we seem to have forgotten now. And when I even mention this idea, you're a Nazi sympathizer, Ed, you're a cover for fascism, we always thought this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, all this really kind of ridiculous and somewhat ugly stuff that has its own biases in those statements. But, you know, it's just, it, it's, it just seems to be it's absolutely spot on. And I, I think the reason, I think Rachel Maddow had a little meltdown and there were so many distortions. I think on some set, in some sense, Katie, I think they know where the wind is blowing. I mm. mean, I, I just, yeah, I just don't see, I mean, I mean, Switzerland violated its neutrality to get involved in this, this fiasco in Ukraine. So, I mean, is the West ready for a long war, billions of dollars when the Ukrainians run out of troops? Are we going to like proxy hire Blackwater to go fight? I mean, I mean where is this madness going to end? But you know, I think all the alternative voices like yours and Aaron's and everyone else and the gray zone and everyone is basically, I mean, I think people are at some point, they fear the counter narrative because they know it can break out on several levels, not only its intellectual merit, but if it actually translates into any kind of left, right organizing, that makes them very nervous. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, that's just basically my way of saying that was awesome and keep up the good work. <laughs> anyway, so I'll go back to work now. Okay, thank and you. And I hear Aaron's dad all the time at work because I work, I started a new position at a drug treatment center. My office is in the outpatient building, although I don't work in the outpatient program. But I can hear the groups going on, the psychoeducational groups, and it's all, a lot of times it's videos of Aaron's dad. So it's really kind of cool. Uh, so let, yeah. him, let him know that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll talk to you. Okay. okay. I mean, Thanks. I can't, Bye -bye. I wasn't involved in this rally. So when I you know. Say uh, yeah, but, I, mean, but I, I know you weren't there, but you guys. You're, well, you're, we you're, 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 on before it happened. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah, you're helping the counter narrative. That's the important thing. All right, thanks. All right, okay. Anthony, we're going to skip you. Right. Come back give time because uh, we haven't heard from Rudy or. Uh, okay. What's up, Rudy? Hey, Katie Halper, how you doing? Good, you? Pretty good. Just a bit cold in Minnesota. Oh, wow. Sorry about that. That's all good, you know. Um, but um, I was um, listening to the UN Security Council and sort of tabulating, you know, the sides. And I realized the, the warmongers are a bit braver in their stance. Besides Russia and China, nobody... At least, to my understanding, none of the countries are really pushing for um, independent um, review of, or at least like Sweden turning over the, the, their investigation, right? Um, Sweden is like adamant that they, uh, actually in the Security Council meeting, they didn't speak. Um, but then from what I understand, they don't want to turn over what they, um, their investigation and they've sort of given some bullshit that everybody keeps referring to, but nobody actually talks about the details. And then you got the U.S. The, the U.S. actually, you know, the U.S. its side actually has a decent amount of people that are like, you can see their stance, right? And from the Security Council thing, I, the African countries look like they might be on the side of the truth, you know, trying to just 
figure out who's out here doing terrorism. But everybody's like, yo, yeah, this thing should not be happening. We condemn this stuff. But Russia, Russia, <laughs> Russia is just trying to distract. But just why can't it be both? So I'm, I'm really, um, I, I'm, I'm. If you guys, you know, have a, a bit of spare time, I'm wondering if you guys could just like be tabulating for us. You know, who, who's out here? Which countries are on the side of you know, trying to figure this out? Like actually pressing. You know, um, like China and Russia are, and then which ones are like against? And I think it was Moldova or something's president that was overseeing the whole thing. And so he goes from, "Oh, let me play my role as the the organizer of this thing," and then he he then he goes to, "Oh, as a Moldovan or something like that." I can't. It might not be Moldova, but the, so I think it was Moldova. And then he's like. But as a Moldovan, basically, I'm with the U.S. and I believe that we shouldn't, like that Russia is like distracting and we should trust the three countries that have like, that are the, have the dirtiest hands in this thing. Give us their propagandized investigation. Uh, what do you think, Katie? Isn't it crazy? Yeah, I mean, someone else should do that. I'm sure there are maps out there with uh, explaining which countries support. I'm, in fact, I remember seeing them. So, um, but what isn't what crazy? Uh, the that in this meeting we have people that are concerned, and then the U.S. and the, you know their their allies that they're saying that they they're concerned about actually the terrorism of it is crazy, like the pollution of it that is insane. That's one angle, but then the other angle is oh yeah, we're concerned about this thing, but let us let. Norway, Sweden, and Germany investigate the shit. The, the three people that are involved most, you know, right. in this thing. It... Yeah, sadly, it's not that surprising. That's true. That's true. Anyway, appreciate you. Thanks, Rudy. Peace. Peace. Okay, Colombia. Colombia, Lisa, Ramon, and then Caitlin, then we're going to say goodbye. Can you hear me? Yep. Hey, Katie, how you doing? Good, you? Um, I'm all right. Thanks for asking. Okay, so here's the deal. I am an anti-war leftist. Okay, I'm just trying to be fast here. Um, my brother-in-law is a Ukrainian historian, and mm. he has lived there multiple times over the last 20 years. And I sent him some things. I asked him about, well, I asked him about Jeffrey Sachs, because Jeffrey Sachs is, was a big source of mine, or is a big source of mine. Um, and he basically we had a back and forth and he basically said he doesn't see any other option at this point. He says that, and I'm just telling you what he said. I don't agree with it, but whatever he says, Putin does not want peace. And he said, according to him, public opinion, um, and this is according to him, public opinion polls in Ukraine are overwhelmingly support supportive of continuing to fight. And so I'm having a really hard time making sense of all this and how to move forward. Um, because I can't, obviously I just see, you can't help but come back to how terrible this current strategy is um but if the ukrainian people want to fight for their country what can we do and then he sent me um a jacobin interview um with a from a ukrainian socialist so i'll put that in the chat and i would love it if um if maybe you and aaron have already read it it came out like shortly after the war started um but i don't know i just really want to like i just don't i want to talk i just don't understand like 
where the truth is. <laughs> it's driving me crazy. I don't well, know if I, that makes sense. Wanting to fight is fine. And I mean, the issue is what the United States does with that. Totally. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, yeah. And I, yeah. Um, but he, you know, he's saying that like, they do not want to, um, you know, give up the territory of the Donbass um, and Crimea and, you know, that there's no real, like, um, currently there's just no way to do it. There's nothing to do other than fight. Um, and obviously I think, the, you know, U.S. is terrible and, and, well, they, know, well, I mean, without the U.S. support, they wouldn't be able to be fighting. Right. Right. But I'm saying like, I, I mean, I wonder, is it possible, like, aren't they getting into more offense now at this point? Like, I feel like if they had just stuck with like maybe supporting them with, you know, with defense, you know, I don't know. It just feels like it's escalating and escalating. And, you know, I just I wonder if there's like a minimal way, like he does, you know, Biden doesn't have to go to Ukraine. He doesn't have to, you know, have all this like, you know, um, pro-war rhetoric, you know, um, so, you know, that's just all that escalation is terrible and unnecessary. So I'm just wondering if there's like this minimal way of just like allowing the Ukrainians, you know, like giving support to the Ukrainians to fight, uh, but, you know, not going down this slippery slope of, you know, of getting into more offense stuff and, and, go, and going and poking, poking the bear. Uh, yeah. Putin. I think uh, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, except to say that the United States' priority is not um, mm-hmm. ending this. It's to weaken Russia. And they've said that overtly. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'll post the Jacobin article. Maybe you okay, can cool. um, look at that. And just, I don't know. I just really want it. It just seems, I, I agree with you. But I also like hear from him. And I'm like, you know, so it's just, um, it's just confusing at this point. Um and yeah, and then he really had some terrible things to say about Jeffrey Sachs. And I was reading, which I was really surprised. Um, so I was curious about, you know, maybe I just wanted to put that on your radar. Maybe you can, you know, look into that. But it's um, but what apparently, was it? His, it, basically, he, um, it, it, like Naomi Klein doesn't like Jeffrey Sachs. Yeah. Um, I'm not an expert. I'm just, what was that? They think he engaged in like shock capitalism, disaster. Exactly, capitalism. exactly, and that he was sort of a neoliberal that has turned into a bleeding heart, um, and that he's sort of you know opportunistic in in these various economic crises, um, which I thought you know opportunistic. I, what I will say is I think he hasn't totally like um, he still defends what he does, and I don't know enough about it to know whether that's appropriate. But I mm-hmm. I think that people I do respect think he needs to like explain more or Mm -hmm. apologize. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll post that thing, that Jacobin article, because I think it's interesting because it is from a Ukrainian socialist and my brother-in-law agrees with it, who is a Ukrainian historian. (laughs) Like, so I really hope you guys can get a chance to check it out and maybe and just get in this, you know, because it's just so it's, I'm, I'm confused, but I'm also anti-war. Like, I, I know the U.S. is horrible. I get that. I'm just, I'm just trying to understand, like, I guess there's two tracks, right? There's, like, the Ukrainians and, and Zelensky and fighting, and then there's um, geopolitics and Biden and Putin. Yeah. yeah. So I guess we have to 
separate those. And people can feel the way they want to feel in Ukraine. It doesn't make them like wrong to want to defend themselves. It's just a question of what should be happening. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Thank Columbia. Bye. Bye. Caitlin, last caller. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Katie. Hi. I'm well, you? thanks. How are you? Good, thanks. So I, the first thing I wanted to mention was there was an earlier caller who was asking how we can raise our children without fear in these modern times. And I think it would be a disservice to raise our children without fear because they're not safe <laughs> because our freedoms are being constantly eroded and our children are the one who are really, they're the ones who are really going to have to fight this struggle when it's at its height, unless we take on the struggle now, which is why I think organizing around these anti-war movements, even when we don't always agree on the social issues, is so important because it's ex. It's existential at this point. Not only is there the threat of nuclear war, but it's become extremely obvious that foreign foreign policy is always testing the waters to see what they can bring home and enact here. And each policy that we've carried out externally is being brought home. And we're at the point now where our president has a kill list externally. So how soon before that list becomes domestic? And um, yeah, so that's just my point is like, it's so important for us to all organize around holding power to account out there, because eventually, if we don't, we're going to end up having to hold them to account here for committing those atrocities domestically. They 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 just exploded a, let a, a private company basically blow up a dirty bomb and poison an entire town for the next hundred years. Um, so yeah, it seems like we're already letting them get away with whatever they can because we're all so complacent and, and we spend all of our energy fighting each other instead of fighting them. So yeah, that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think you have to have somewhat of a balance because if you're too scared, then it can be paralyzing fear. For sure. So, um, yeah, I think it's a balancing act. I agree. But I also agree with what Chris Hedges said is that fear is a motivator and we want our politicians to feel fear. And so we should be mobilizing this, you know, reasonable fear that you should feel when you look around and say, hey, no, wait, they need to be afraid. We need to show them, like, if we're all afraid of dying, you better be afraid because I'm not just going to stand here and get blown up. And I don't know necessarily that everybody's willing to take that step. Yeah. But yeah, that's all. Okay. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All right, guys, this has been a great call in. We will see you next week. Thank you so much to everyone who came and uh, you can catch me on my show, the Katie Halper show, uh, Tuesday at 7 PM EST. All right, guys. Thank you everyone. Bye.